Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. your heart is not hard and your eyes are not dry and your prayers are not cold and your faith is not old otherwise that just about means all of us doesn't it my eyes are dry my eyes are dry faith is old my faith is old heart is hard my heart is hard Prayers are cold. My prayers are cold, and I know how. And I know how I ought to be. I ought to be alive to you, alive to you, and dead to me. double-minded mourn weep be miserable let your laughter be turned into mourning your joy into gloom pour the anointing of God out upon all of us God so that we can be a pleasing people
Specifically about them, raise your hand up. Specifically about them, be honest. Glory to God. As we sing this next song together, I'd like those people to open the curtains so we have more room down here, please. like those of you that feel you need to come and commit your life to Jesus as Lord, possibly for the first time in your life. Those of you who have not been living a right life before God. You've had bitterness in your heart. You've had sin on your hands. And God wants you to come to the fountain and wash it clean. In true repentance, true faith, and true holiness. Come to a holy God and become a holy people. I have a, a statement 
I want to open with today. It's a simple statement. The Holy Spirit in power will not come to you while you continue to be wicked. You can beg for the Holy Spirit. You can cry out for the Holy Spirit, but he will not come as long as you continue to be wicked. You must be washed. You must be made clean. Not in a declared sense, but in reality. If there's anything... I want to communicate with you today is that God deals only in reality, not fantasia. We don't serve a God who operates in a Disney World atmosphere. He wants reality. He wants it to be real. There's a scripture in the book of Romans, the fifth chapter. You would do well to read it with me. Therefore, having, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, the translation is not accurate. Let me give you the accurate translation, the real translation. Therefore, having been made righteous through faith, faith does not mean false, it doesn't mean fake, It means real. And the word justified, as it's given in the NIV, which I'm using, it says, since we have been justified through faith. But let's get real. See, I want you to hear the real gospel. I want you to be washed in real blood. I want you to be made holy In reality, what does the word justified mean? It's an old English word, and it means to be made righteous. The word righteous simply means to be made innocent. Since we have been made righteous, We have been made righteous through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Grace is never in Scripture given the meaning of a covering over of our sin. 
Brother Titus tells us that grace teaches us how to walk in the full righteousness of Jesus. In reality, this is not make-believe. Most of the church is believing a phony gospel. The American church is a phony gospel. It's a false gospel. It's a horrible gospel because it has no power to set me free from my sin. But people say, oh, I like it. I feel sorry for the Grace Churches in the metro area. I pass by a Grace Church often when I'm driving over to Fairfax. And I say, Lord, forgive them. They're teaching a false grace, a cheap, greasy grace. Real grace cuts through all the sin and removes it by the blood of Jesus. Now, it's hard to talk about these things because we have for so long believed the lie that grace would cover over our sins and make it as though we had never sinned, even though we still continue to walk in sin. No, 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 no. We have been made righteous through faith. We have peace with God. Now, if you do not have peace with God, if you are still in turmoil, then that's a very strong indicator that you believed a lie. Now, let's take it one step further. The devil will come to you and he will whisper into your heart, you're not where you need to be. Jesus has given up on you. You can never be made righteous. That's a lie. You will always be a sinner. You will always be a part of my world and my camp. And I claim you as my own, even though you go to church and you go through all the rituals. You have an intellectual religion, but you still are filthy, dirty before God. God has given up on you. I want to tell you. God has not given up on you. Here it's straight and plain. God has not given up on you. He didn't die and shed his blood to give up easily upon your life. No, he claims you as his own. And he desires to remove all sin from your heart so that you no longer live in known or unknown sin. There are some who want to teach, oh, you're committing sin all the time. It's unknown to you, but you're still sin. No, you're not. No, you're not. That's a lie. And it's usually taught by people who want to make excuses for their sin. It's so easy to commit a sin against God. And then say, oh, but I I repented. I said, I'm sorry, God. I fornicated with that woman, but please forgive me. And, And okay, the blanket goes over my sin. That's a false Christianity. Cussing flows out of my lips 
And I say, oh, mm, 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 I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I'm forgiven. Meaning, it's under the blanket. No, it's not. No, it's not. I want to share with you today, again, out of the experience of this wonderful man of God, Charles Finney. It's from a book, Holy Spirit Revivals. He's just had an amazing experience with God. And he's walking back out of the woods where he was confessing his sin before God. He says, I soon reached the road that led to the village. I began to reflect on what had passed. I found that my mind had become wonderfully quiet and peaceful. I said to myself, What is this? I must have grieved the Holy Spirit entirely away. I have lost all my convictions. I do not have a particle of concern about my soul. It must be that the Spirit has left me. Indeed, I never was so far from being concerned about my salvation in my life. Then I remembered what I had said to God while I was on my knees, that I would take him at his word. And so I recall many things. Now, wait a minute. What did he do? He confessed his sins before God. And he asked God to forgive him for those sins, to wash him and make him clean. He said, I was going to take God at his word. I was going to take God at his word. That is, that he would wash away my sins, and I would no longer be held accountable for them. Not, I will continue to have my sins, but they'll just be covered by the blanket of grace. There's no peace in that. There's no joy in that. So I recalled many things I had said, and I concluded that it was no wonder that the Spirit had left me. I imagined that for such a sinner as I was, to take hold of God's Word in that way was presumption, if not blasphemy. I concluded that in my excitement I had grieved the Holy Spirit and perhaps committed the unpardonable sin. Nothing could be further from the truth. Charles Finney made the decision that he would take God at his word, that he would believe what God was saying to him. Now, this is such a difficult issue to communicate with you because I'm using words that you're accustomed to hearing. I'm using words that make sense to you. But if those words tell you that you can be saved in your sin, then it's a lie. I'm telling you, you cannot be saved in the midst of your sin that instead you have to take God at his word in literal in literal reality. That he, with his blood, will wash away your sin. He will make you clean. And your job? To give him all the sin. 
Now, that seems very difficult. And the reason it seems very difficult is that we love our sin. But if you will allow the Holy Spirit, he will bring you to a place. If you will ask him, where you will hate your sin. And you will cast it off like a filthy garment. Let me see if I can find a scripture that I was thinking about in the early hours of this morning. Um, I think I can find it. I think I'm almost there. Be patient. Oh, my. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. For if the measure spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? The great salvation is given to us free of charge. It is given to us to walk away from our sin, to be made clean. Listen, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this is chapter 12. So chapter 11 tells us about all these witnesses who walked away from their sin. He says, let us throw off Everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. Let it, that, that's literally the sin that's dancing around us saying, Choose me, choose me, choose me. Choose fornication. Choose lust and idolatry. Choose bitterness. Choose anger. Choose Choose whatever the devil gives you to choose. And he's saying, throw it off. Throw cynicism off. Throw unbelief off. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart in your struggle against sin. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Come on, resist! Say, no, devil, I will not join you in this rebellion against Almighty God. Do 
you hear this? I don't know how to say it in a way that you'll understand except to say, if you're going to deal with God, deal without lying, and deal by taking his word literally, no excuses. I walked, Vinnie writes, toward the village. So perfectly quiet was my mind that it seemed as if all nature listened. I'd gone into the woods immediately after an early breakfast. Now, do you want that peace in your heart? Okay, then that means you must say, Everything I have, everything I am, all of my feelings and judgments, all of my bitterness and anger, all of it goes to the cross of Jesus Christ. Then peace rules in your heart. Oh, but I want to go on this vacation. I want to do this. I want to go here. I want to buy that you won't have peace in your heart. There'll be a, a rumble in your spirit. Unless Jesus tells you to go do that. Unless he impresses you that that is the course I've chosen for you. You need the rest. You need the, you need the car. You need the house. Whatever he's telling you, you the rest of Jesus. Listen, this is a secret. The rest of Jesus is found in what Jesus wants for you. And that will take prayer. It will take time. Somebody said to me, Pastor, I'm really struggling. Where should I live? I own a house here. I think I want to go there. What a foolish question. What a foolish question. Where should I live? No, the question that needs to be asked, what does God want me to do? What's my mission assignment? And now if that's the mission assignment, I need to live where I accomplish and where I bring to pass that task that Jesus has given to me. Well, I don't know what Jesus wants me to do. Then you have not yet confessed all your sins. And you've not waited before him. See, please, hear what I'm saying to you today. The walk with Jesus Christ that will bring you into eternity and into heaven and paradise is total honesty with God. Where you say to him, I don't know what you want me to do, but I will wait right here until you tell me what you want me to do. And you wait on his Holy Spirit direction. This is not Fantasia. This is not Hollywood. This is not Disney World. This is reality. 
This is coming to Jesus with an open heart of confession and suddenly realizing the fullness of the quietness of your mind where you're willing to wait before him. The Lord told me that I could buy a new car. I need another car. Mine's a 2010 Hyundai Sonata. It's a nice car. But things are breaking down on it. I just went for the inspection on the car and discovered that the check engine light meant that I was going to have some repair work to be done in order to pass inspection. Okay. $850. Ka-ching. All right. I'm not going to let my mind be upset or disturbed by a $850 bill. You see, it's not my bill. It's not my car. All that was given to Jesus. So I trust Jesus to pay that $850 car repair bill, and I trust Jesus to bring me the car that he wants me to drive. So he said, before all of this started, yes, you can move forward and buy another car. Does that mean I can? No, it means I don't. It means I wait on him to show me what he wants me to do. And the expense is in his hands. For the car repairs? For the next car he wants me to drive? I trust him. Look, I don't create my own reality. I don't pay my own way. I wait upon the Lord. And the Lord is the one who opens the way for me. Now, please, this is my real and literal life. This is not make-believe. But I would not have peace about this if I had not believed his word to me and said, okay, thank you, I'll wait. I'll wait on Jesus. Did you know it's a privilege to wait on Jesus? To let him work out what he wants to work out. Where should you live? The answer is very simple. What's your mission? What's Jesus want you to do? Now go live where he tells you what he wants you to do there. And he'll work it out. Finney writes, No matter what view I took of it, I could not be anxious at all about my soul and my spiritual state. The repose of my mind was unspeakably great. I never can describe it in words. The thought of God was so sweet to my mind and so powerful. It's a great mystery to me. Just before evening, I decided that as soon as I was left alone in the new office, I would try to pray again. 
But I was not going to abandon the subject of religion and give it up at any rate. Therefore, although I no longer had any concern about my soul, I would still continue to pray. So by evening, we got the books and furniture adjusted in our new office. And just at dark, Squire Wright, seeing that everything was adjusted, bade me good night and went home. I turned around, my heart seeming to be liquid within me. All my feelings seemed to rise and flow out, and the utterance of my heart was, I want to pour my whole soul out to God. The rising of my soul was so great that I rushed into the room behind the front office to pray. <clears throat> and he describes there how he met Jesus. He doesn't know if it was the real reality of Jesus or if it was in his mind. No words can express the wonderful love that was poured out, Romans 5.5, 5, in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. The waves came over me and over me till I cried out, I will die if these waves continue to pass over me. See, somehow in the midst of all of this, as he was praying, he took down his brass viola. And as was a custom for him to do, he began to play and sing some pieces of sacred music. But as soon as I began to sing those sacred words, I began to weep. It seemed as if my heart were all liquid, and my feelings were in such a state that I could no longer hear my own voice in singing without causing my tears to overflow. I wondered at this and tried to hold back my tears, but could not. After trying in vain to suppress my tears, I put away my instrument and stopped singing. And suddenly the Holy Spirit fell on him. He'd never heard of a baptism of the Holy Spirit. It came upon him suddenly. Why would, why would God baptize him with the Holy Spirit when he never heard of the Holy Spirit baptism? Well, it's pretty plain. He took God at his, at his word. He did not withhold himself. Are you having a hard time with peace in your heart, feeling like there are many things that you need to deal with before you can come to the Lord? Then you'll have no peace, and you'll never get that peace. All of those things have to be given over to the Lord God of heaven. And they, and they don't have to be sorted out one by one. You simply have to take Jesus at his word in Romans, the fifth chapter, the first verse. 
Therefore, since we have been justified, since we've been made righteous, God will make you righteous if you will ask him to make you righteous. It's not about confessing every dot and tittle. It's about coming to him, acknowledging that you are a sinner, and asking him if he would justify you, make you righteous, change you, transform you. And he will do it. I know today I'm expecting the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I have great peace in my heart. He has done what he said he would do for me. He has made me righteous. And I'm grateful. And I'm expecting the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not withholding from me or from you. He says, But as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit without any expectation of it, without ever having thought that there was such a thing for me, without any recollection that I'd ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through me. Instead, it seemed to come in waves of light of love. I cannot express it any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recall distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. I wept aloud with joy and love and literally bellowed out the gushings of my heart. Do you hear today what I'm trying to say to you? You can experience the same baptism of the Holy Spirit. You will allow him to take from you your sin. It's not a a matter of your casting off the sin. It's a matter of you taking Jesus at his word. taking Jesus literally at his word. He writes, I had never distinctly viewed this as a fundamental doctrine of the gospel. Romans 5.1 I could see that from the moment I believed while I was up in the woods, all sense of condemnation had entirely dropped out of my mind and I could not feel a sense of guilt or condemnation by any effort that I could make. My sins were gone, and my sense of guilt was gone, as if I had never sinned. That was the revelation 
that I needed as far as I could see, I was in a state in which I did not sin. Instead of feeling that I was sinning all the time, my heart was so full of love that it overflowed. My cup ran over while blessing with love, and I could not feel that I was sinning against God, nor could I recover the least sense of guilt for my past sins. Now immediately, Jesus gave him his assignment. See, we want our assignment. We want where we're supposed to live while we believe that we're still in sin. Won't happen. We have to come to a place in our heart where we're finally willing to say, Jesus, I will take you at your word. I will believe literally what you have said. And the devils come up with alternative beliefs and their lies. Those alternative beliefs are that you can never leave your sin, that the blood of Jesus can never wash you completely and make you clean, that the blood of Jesus will only cover you with a blanket called grace. It's all a lie. When Jesus does something, he does it completely, and he finishes it. I come before you this morning. I've been in the prayer closet. I've spent much time this week praying and waiting upon the Lord. And he's assured me that he is not withholding from me that he has forgiven me for all of my sin, that he's washed them all away. And I need to take him at his word and wait upon him. I'm waiting upon Jesus for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is not cheap grace. This is real grace because I don't deserve the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not about deserving. Jesus paid it all. And now that I've been set free from sin, I'm a slave of God. The benefit that I reap is holiness. The result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I come by faith today. I trust what he's doing in my heart. It is not an intellectual belief. It is an absolute decision. To trust Jesus. To put my confidence in his word. In the literalness of his word. He has bound me in his love. Now I expect. For the Holy Spirit to come. 
Holy Spirit didn't come immediately for the disciples. They had to be granted permission. They had to be granted power to heal the sick, cast out demons. And then all of that was given at Pentecost. And we're told it was for all of us who are close by and far away. It's for everyone. So now I'm waiting upon the word of the Lord. My leg is still broken. It's still painful. But I know that he will heal that leg. And I'm going to trust him to heal me. Doesn't matter. I'm not going to be angry about it. I'm not going to be impatient with Jesus. He's been very, very patient with me and very kind to me. I'm going to return that to Jesus. I'm going to be very patient with Jesus. I'm going to be very kind. But I am going to boldly say, a soon coming time, I'll come and testify on this radio and this YouTube. We're both We are on both YouTube and on 780 AM. I'm going to come and testify that I've been totally healed and I can walk and dance and run. (laughs) See, where the struggle comes is when we believe intellectually but not personally. Do you understand the difference? We read the scriptures and we say, yes, that's true. But we don't really believe it. Because we still cling to our sin. And our heart is not gushing with love for Jesus. I don't love Jesus intellectually. I love him as a person. I love him for what he did on Calvary's cross for me. That was personal. That was not intellectual. Jesus was not crucified intellectually. He was crucified in reality. And you must be crucified with Christ in reality, not in intellectualism. It's not a matter of saying, oh, I believe Jesus. In the English, the word I believe means to intellectually agree with. That will never bring you into the heart of Jesus. You must hold the position In your mind, yes. In your heart, in your spirit. You must hold tightly to the position that Jesus did something very real on Calvary's tree. And that blood is very real. And it washes away your sin. It makes you into a new person. I feel... A 
great sadness for some of you because you've been struggling for years to overcome your sin. It's not a matter of overcoming. It's a matter of Jesus coming and taking it from you and casting it into the depths of the sea. But you're going to have to leave yourself. You're going to have to turn your back on yourself. And your eyes are going to have to be fixed on Jesus. You don't have to pay the penalty for your past sins. Oh, pastor, I sinned greatly against God, and now I've got to pay the price for my sin. No, you don't. He paid it at Calvary's tree. Can you believe that today? Are you willing to lay your life down and all of your concerns and all of your upsets and all of your desperate grasping after what you want? Are you willing to just lay it all down and say, Jesus, I give it all to you. And I'm going to live with the peace and the joy of your being in me and for me and with me. And when you come to that place, your heart will be at peace with Jesus. Now let's pray. Lord Jesus, I lift up the sick today and know that you can heal them But for you to heal them, they're going to have to look to you in faith, in reality, in truth, and say, Jesus, I give everything to you, and I will wait upon you for what you want to accomplish in my life. I will wait upon the Holy Spirit, and my heart will be filled with peace and joy and love. And you are my Lord and my Savior. And there is none other that can put their arms around me and heal me of this brokenness, but you can. I choose today, Lord Jesus, to know that you have made me righteous and have removed all sin from my heart and from my life. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I'm so grateful for you. I care about you. And I want you to know that what I've spoken to you today is absolute truth. Straight from the Word of God. I've I've read it to you from the Word of God. Read all of chapter 6. Read chapter 8. Of Romans. I want you to put your trust in Jesus. To know that he will carry you. That he is not withholding from you. I also want to tell you that finances have never been tighter 
and I'm praying that Jesus, and I'm trusting that Jesus, will move in the hearts of many of you who listen, and that you will financially contribute and say, I want to be a part of this work of the kingdom of God. I I want to help support a ministry that speaks boldly and the truth, straight from the word of God. I'm not anybody. I'm not important. None of the money will come to me. It goes straight into the fund to cover the radio and the cost of the of the work of the ministry. So, please, if the Holy Spirit is calling you to give, you can give online. Just go to nationalprayerchapel.com and you'll see donate up at the top. Or mail to me. I'd love to hear from you. National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that is National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. We're broadcasting live on YouTube. Go to Ray Greenley YouTube. But we're also broadcasting live on 780 AM at WAVA. God bless you, my brother, my sister.